John's Gospel records the death of Jesus as do the other three. And um, after Jesus is taken from the cross, they take Him to a tomb. In, in John's Gospel, in chapter 19, there are two verses that leave us with this hanging point of where He was laid. And here's what it says. If you would stand for the two verses from John 19 for the reading of the Word of God. Now in the place where He was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary. On a hill far away, they say. Garden tomb, where they put him. I've been there. My wife's been twice. I've actually been in the tomb, and my wife's been in twice. It's a very amazing, beautiful garden there. Very peaceful. There's a, a place where they used to tramp out the grapes there. And uh, what you can see when you're standing uh, and looking over at the place of the skull, it looks like two eyes and a mouth. That's why they call it the place of the skull. You can see this rock facing that stretches, I'm thinking 300 feet maybe, on the side of the mountain there. And uh, maybe 30, 40 feet tall at the most. Wow. And uh, it stretches along. And, and Golgotha is in the corner on the end. And then the tomb is further in. And you can see both things from the same place. The place of death and the place of burial. Mm-hmm. And there's a path around there. I don't know how it was back then, obviously. But there's a path that leads down to where the tomb is and all the other things in the garden, beautiful trees, very peaceful place. When you're looking at the garden, if you had your back to the wall, you wouldn't notice the skull or the tomb. You just think you're in a nice, beautiful, and rustic old garden. Wouldn't you say that was kind of the feel of it? And it was and it's just like scenic, very peaceful. You wouldn't know turning around you saw a place of agony and loss on the rock wall. Agony and loss. And you you think about that for a moment because it's like two contrasting things. The darkness of death and the growth of life and newness in the garden. That tomb in a wall where they put Jesus was a grave. The only one there. There were we, I didn't see any others on the wall, any other tombs there, any other places where people were buried. Just that one. And what, what I thought was interesting was that that would be the graveyard for Jesus Christ. A graveyard. We got one here this week and a half ago. We laid Rita to rest there. A graveyard is an ending place. 
It's not the place where things start. It's the end of a story. Stories, when you tell them, have an ending. Even shaggy dog stories have an ending. And so, the stories that we tell are always better because of the end. But when you lay someone in the grave and we talk about their life and what they've meant to us and all that, we're beginning a process of grief. Or in the middle of a process of grieving. For us, it's about three days. For them, it was a seven-day grieving period and mourning. The tomb of Jesus was the end of the story for His life, right? Isn't that how it goes? Someone dies, you put them in the grave. The story of how they lived ends. The dash, as they say, between birth date and death date is the life that they lived and the story they tell. The epitaph tells kind of the person they were. The story ends in the tombs of our lives, in the graves, or so our life story stops and we're no longer on this earth. But listen to this. In the place of endings, where that tomb was, we celebrated communion. Hear me. We celebrated the death of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice. At that point in history, when they put His body in the tomb, there was no celebration. They weren't going to thank God for His death. We get to eat His body and drink His blood. All they're thinking is, He's gone. We need to get Him in the grave Tomorrow we must prepare for our Passover and eat it and, uh, and begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Thinking back to that period in time, it tells of the women that went, but in the list, his mother is not there. Not sure where she is. But I was wondering, as I thought about this, and she's just lost her son. And who at that time would have loved Jesus more than his mother? Right? And who's going to come to Mary and mourn with her? The disciples are all afraid. They think the Roman authorities are going to come get them because they were with him and part of the coup that was rising up against the Romans and the temple. So they were afraid. So who's going to come and be with Mary? The disciples, obviously not. The women here at the tomb were not. And who's going to come to the disciples and come to them and help them grieve the loss of their leader? They didn't just lose Jesus. They lost Judas. All this information is fresh. Judas has hung himself. Jesus is dead. Our whole world has been shattered. How are they going to regroup? How are they going to carry on? The things that Jesus said and all the feeding, they can't do that. They can't walk on water. They can't cause fish to jump miraculously into nets. Who's going to be the new leader? Peter's denied Jesus and he doesn't feel worthy. And they're trying to figure out how to survive right now and grieve 
Because more than just a life lost, they lost a dream. They lost a hope. James and John's mother came to Jesus shortly before all this happened and said, will you permit my sons to sit at your right and left hand side? Do you understand? They've got the vision. And the vision is crashed. They've given three years of their life and hopes and all these things and expectations and learning about all this kingdom to see it gone. Laid in a tomb. End of story. And we're probably next. The Romans win. The temple defeats us. And all that Jesus stood for, we got nothing to stand on. The darkness of the moment was worsened because they abandoned Jesus in the midst of it. Jesus told them they would, but they still did it. Can you imagine? And they had no ability to save Jesus, to protect Him, or to help Him in any of this process. And so they watched and heard from a distance or afterward. But they left their leader. What kind of disciple does that? Think maybe there's some shame and guilt. I know there was for Peter. And that period of grieving was just beginning. I think they need more than seven days for this one. And maybe thoughts like this were going through their heads. I've given three years to this dream and it's gone. What am I going to do with my life now? I've left everything abandoned my nets. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll hire on. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I had thoughts of being one with Him in the new kingdom. How could it happen when He's gone? And maybe the words of the prophet came to them. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. I'm just a sheep. I'm not a shepherd. And I've abandoned hope. Abandoned ship. And they laid him in the tomb. Saturday. Day of rest. The Sabbath. No work. <laughs> oh, the last thing they want to do is sit down. But they can't go anywhere. Not and they'd be noticed in violation of the Sabbath. That, that'd be even worse. But it wasn't just a day of rest; it was a day of mourning and confusion and darkness. And I think that that darkness was made worse because now they had to think about why they did what they did, why they left, why they were afraid to stay. If they could have made a difference. And on that Saturday, on that dark day, they're thinking, where's this tomorrow that He promised us? This kingdom? What's going on? You ever faced a Saturday like that? Whether it had been a different day of the week, where it felt like everything crashed down? I have. No end that seems even close to good or... Results that might make sense. And here they are. The disciples are gathered, hidden, it says, in fear, in a room. 
And they're eating unleavened bread just a day and a half after they shared it with Him in the Passover feast. What thoughts are running through their head? The bread. And He said, this is my body broken for you. And they're going... It will, he's, whatever. <laughs> and they're looking at the bread and, and, and the holes in the bread and the, and the stripes. And they're saying that He gave us this to eat and He's gone. We don't know what to do. And they're eating this feast that they just had with Him. And they're eating unleavened bread for the next few days. And each time they take a piece and break it off, because those of us who had the Seder last week know it's like a cracker, and you don't just chew it, it's crunchy and very thin. And so they break it off like he did, and each bite they would take, they would remember in more guilt. And they had six days that I had to look forward to. I don't know about you, but I think um, that unloving bread for them became a very, very dark piece of food real quick on that day. But that's all they were allowed to eat, unleavened. And Jesus shows up same day, that uh, next day, when, he, when He's uh, resurrected. He shows up. He appears to the disciples. And according to the custom, of course, they're still in this grieving period of a week. It's only been two days, three days. And they're still in mourning. And if you remember in the Gospel of Luke that there's two fellas walking on the day of resurrection to Emmaus. And they're in grief. You can see it and hear it by their words. They're still in mourning over this. Because they're, they also have confusion. And and in that process of going through the grief, you can hear what they say to Jesus. I think when you hear it in the context of grief, you'll hear it. It says they were walking and they talked together of all the things which had happened. And while they conversed, Jesus draws near the day of resurrection and goes with them. But their eyes couldn't understand it was Jesus. And He asked them, what's this conversation you're having? And the one says... Are you the only stranger in town in Jerusalem and you've not known these things which have happened here in the last few days? And Jesus says, what things? And here's their response. Now, listen, first of all, the question is, have you, are, you, are you the only one who doesn't understand what's happened? He, he's cautious. He doesn't want to say, we're followers of this Jesus because it could be someone who is privy to the Roman government or in cahoots with the temple. So he's being careful. And so they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people. That's a safe statement. And now the chief priests and our rulers, the Romans, delivered Him to be condemned to death and crucified Him. Now here's the grief. But we were hoping. We were hoping. 
There's a time when hope feels lost. And I was hoping, but it's gone. We were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping that. That was our dream. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. The third day. And you haven't heard? We've, we've been hopeless for three days already. We thought He would redeem us. And our Redeemer is gone. The one we thought would be the Redeemer. And certain women of our tomb who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find His body, they came in that and said that they had also seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just like the women said, but they did not see Him. <coughs> Someone who is resurrected, you want to see alive. Mm-hmm. Grief does not end until you see the result of the grief. When someone loses a loved one overseas in war or otherwise, it's when the body comes home and they can see it, they get closure. One way or another, they needed closure. But they didn't see Jesus. So they don't know. All they know is what the women have said is that He's not there, He's risen, but we don't see Him anywhere. Where is He? We don't know. Understand, if they believed He was risen, they wouldn't say we were hoping. The women told us, and we're astonished, and this word astonished doesn't mean happy. The word means shocked. Disbelief. Type of astonished. Something told to you that you just don't quite comprehend. We had the cedar last week. Cedar, excuse me, meal. I keep saying it wrong. And uh, on the plate was an egg. It's one of the last two elements that we haven't talked about. And the egg, we learned, symbolized new life. Perfection. Eternity. I want to tell you something. The egg... According to tradition, to tradition was not added until later after Jesus' death. They didn't have the egg. That's important. They didn't have the egg, which is the hope of new life on their cider plate. The egg signified not only new life, but also people. I think we as humans are much like an egg. Uh, if you don't know what I mean by that, a hard exterior. You know, we got walls and defenses where we let people a certain distance close, but no further. And inside, what we're trying to protect is soft. And further deep in is the preciousness that could give life if fertilized. 
New life begins when the soft exterior is accessed by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And for Jesus to get in, the exterior has to be broken. I venture to say this day that on that Saturday, after Jesus was laid in the tomb, that the disciples and the women were broken. That brokenness is the pain and struggles of life. It's God's way of cracking open us. How do you view all the pain and struggles that led you to where you are today? At times, when you're going through them, and you're not to the other end of them, it's not worth celebrating, is it? And not even thanking God for them. And maybe now you can look back and see as you've moved through those that it was God's way of moving you to new places and spaces. The struggles, the broken places, to get you another perspective. His. You can see the pain looking back, but today you see the joy on the other side. When they lay Jesus in the tomb, they are not celebrating that, oh, He fulfilled it by dying. They didn't understand. Now, we understand all the prophets and what Jesus said and that He raises up. And that that is a moment when Jesus dies as a celebration because it is what gives us forgiveness of sin. And the resurrection is what promises us eternal life. So we, we, we live right now with them in that moment of darkness because we still don't see the end of the story of our life and how God's going to work everything out yet. There's still struggles in our life. We're not yet done. There's places in us where the egg is still interior, not accessed by the Holy Spirit. God's still working on us. But I have to tell you, and I think you'll agree with me, at those points in my life when everything had fallen apart, it seemed pointless. Absolutely like, why in the world would this even need to happen? When Jesus was laid in the tomb and the disciples were looking at what all had happened and said, He did all this, now it seems pointless. We believed all this. What did it get us? Possible crucifixion by the Roman authorities for sure. And ostracized by the temple. And Peter, of course, feeling like he had no part in the kingdom of God anymore. As human beings, truly, it's the end of the story. They cannot write more in the chapter. They cannot. If Jesus does not raise from the dead, they're going to go back to the old life of fishing, collecting taxes if they'll have them, and do those things until they die. And that's going to be their life. That's the story that they're getting ready to rewrite after the period of mourning and grief. John is going to take care of Mary. Other than that, 
That's it. Everything's the same as it used to be. Three years wasted. If we are the only ones writing the story, if you're the only one writing the story, then your life ends at the grave. And it ends at the heartbreaks and no hope beyond them. But when you look back and see how God has used those moments for His purposes in your life, you can see that what at a time seemed pointless and not worth it or makes sense, now seems worth it. I celebrate the resurrections God's made in life. Here's how I look at this. And maybe you can appreciate a little more of the story. 21 years ago, in April, I was um, in a very bad place. A very dark place. As a matter of fact, on that period of my life, I had said to God, God, I tried it your way, and look what it got me. At the time, I was going through a divorce. I was ousted from ministry. Um, I'd lost pension, insurance, uh, income. And uh, I didn't know where I was going to go or what I was going to do. As a pastor, you get parsonages. I had nothing. My plan was to find a new job and move on and get an apartment or something and ended up moving in with my parents. Was that the story I was writing? Is that what I was working for? No, it was going backward. Or so it felt. And it felt like a crucifixion, like this part of my life, oh, it was just a, an idea and a thought. But it really wasn't what it was supposed to be. It was a dream that God gave that was gone now. And looking back on that, I, at that moment I thought, <laughs> this is pointless. You know, Why am I even trying to serve God? It doesn't do anything but bring heartache and loss. And what do you think the disciples are saying in that room on Saturday when Jesus is in the grave? All it does when you follow the kingdom of God like Jesus said is bring heartache and loss and threats on your life. Same thing I thought. But had that not happened, I wouldn't be here. And this is where God needed me to be. And I wouldn't be in Paducah. I wouldn't be anywhere, probably. I probably would have given up on life by now. And I certainly wouldn't be here telling you that the dark days are not pointless. I'd be telling you they are. But God took those and I look back and I go, I had to go through that to get to this. Mm-hmm. You got to go through the dark to get to the light. Because the darkness only lasts for a night. The joy comes in the morning. In the resurrection. They always say it like this. Don't give up until your miracle happens. And don't give up when your miracle happens either. And don't give up even if it doesn't. To keep pushing forward in faith that God has a resurrection power to take a tomb that seems hopeless, a grave that seems endless, 
in a story that seems over, and by all accounts was, and says, well, I've got a chapter and verses and a whole bunch more in the New Testament to write. Most of the New Testament was written after he died and resurrected. Most of it. The bulk of it. Why? Because the story wasn't done. And yours isn't either. If you haven't gotten all the way there yet, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting. And keep pushing through. Because the perspective that you have right now is the perspective you have right now. But when God instills His resurrection power, which Scripture says is the same work, that same Spirit that was in raising Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit at work in you. The same One raising Him from the dead. That resurrecting Spirit is the same One alive in you. And sometimes we need to hear that the darkness is the perspective we see. But God says, when you're on the other side, you see, yeah, I had to go through that to get to the light. Because God's people dwell in light, not in darkness. And the darkness of that day was necessary. It was absolutely necessary to fulfill Scripture. And now looking back, we can see He had to remain dead. And He had to die for three days to be resurrected. It's in the book. And the dark days were foretold. So you would know there would be a brighter day forward coming. And He says the same thing to you and me right now. That the dark days, there is a brighter day on the end of it. It is written. It will happen just as surely as they laid Him in the tomb and darkness came. Light came also. I hope as we go through this day and this morning that you celebrate even the points in life that aren't so pretty. Because God is using them to show you that those aren't endings. Certain things may end. But new beginnings are God's specialties. And hope in hopeless situations. If you have that perspective, you don't need another one. But if you don't, you need another one. His. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, may we not be like the disciples who heard that Jesus was alive and thought it was idle tales and did not believe, may we without seeing Him know that He is alive and may we truly manifest His resurrection in our lives. That kind of power. Amen.